I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. You're here for our Congregation of Prayer. This is a guide for daily meditation and prayer in God's Word. Uh, I gather with you each day, Monday through Saturday uh, at 9 a.m. Central Time. And uh, the idea here is to both instruct you in maybe a way of praying and to help guide you in your prayers um, if you're alone, single, single, or uh, maybe find difficulty even doing it as a couple or as a family, and then to give you that daily discipline in God's Word, which is, of course, uh, what preserves us in the faith. So good to have you all with us here today. Hold on a minute. I want to... My headphones got turned down. Um, let's see. Yeah, good to have you, Karen, Michael, and Don. I'm sure Karen with Don. Good to have you checking in here today. Um, I think we'll dig into our text first, uh, but maybe make plans to stay a few minutes longer. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the events of yesterday, give you some perspective, at least my perspective, as uh, as either your pastor or a pastor that you might consider worthy of listening to. Okay, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Say our memory verse for this week. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Matthew 7 verses 7 through 8. Our psalm this week is the second half of Psalm 104. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. He made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun knows its time for setting. You make the darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. There go the ships, and Leviathan, whom you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his work, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. 
I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Our first reading today is from Jeremiah chapter 31. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in her dance, in the dance, and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. A voice uh, was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping, and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. All right, there ends the reading. And then our reading for catechesis is Matthew chapter 20, or chapter 2, excuse me, beginning in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, or excuse me, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There ends the reading. All right. 
Oh, I was going to say uh, that we looked at this reading. The Holy Innocence would have been on uh, December 28th, right? And I kind of thought we read uh, the flight into Egypt. Oh, in preparation uh, for Sunday, maybe. Because we had the whole flight into Egypt on Sunday. I thought we did more catechesis on this text at some point. I'm going back and looking at my schedule. No, I guess it was just, just that Monday that we looked at it, and we had the Jeremiah reading. All right. Good. So let's do some questions and answers on it. Who appeared to Joseph? Yeah, we have the Lord. Uh, excuse me, angel of the Lord appearing to Joseph in a dream. You see that right there in verse 13. Okay. Uh, how is this like the first Joseph? All right. I, know, I feel like I asked you questions about this before. <laughs> I just can't remember when. Uh, Genesis 37, for example. Uh, Joseph uh, has dream of his, uh, that he tells his brothers about the sheaves in the field. Remember that? And, uh, of course, referring to eventual, his eventual being lord over them, as he is the governor of all of Pharaoh's uh, crops in the drought, okay? Uh, and then when he was in prison, you had the butler, right? And the cupbearer. Well, that is the butler, isn't it? The butler is the cupbearer. Those two things, those are two. Or the baker and the cupbearer, that's right. The butler and the baker. They both had dreams. Of course, he interpreted them uh, while he was in prison. And then that got word back to Pharaoh. Of course, Pharaoh himself had dreams. Um, had When he had uh, Joseph brought out to answer the dream, of course, Joseph uh, got to shave, finally, and get a new change of clothing. Remember, and this was with the, the cows, the fat cows, and then the skinny gaunt cows, right? And Joseph, uh, under the Lord's uh, instruction, then is able to interpret those dreams. So, we have Old Testament Joseph, New Testament Joseph, very similar, receiving dreams. What message was given to Joseph this time, though, the husband of Mary? Take the child and his mother to Egypt. Uh, this story is only included in Matthew, right? And so this is also where the tradition comes that um, the, the Magi visited Jesus when he was older, right? Because he had been in, um, already been in, no, not when they visited when he was older. No, he, they visited right at the beginning of chapter two, right? Yeah, I'm getting confused. No, that's correct. Oh, this is not, yeah, we just studied that yesterday, the first part. Um, oh, because they uh, went to Bethlehem. No, see, that doesn't work out. I'm sorry, I'm confusing you. Um, they go to visit him, not in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem. So this is before they settled in Nazareth. Um, so some people have said that, that the visit was like two years later, and I'm not sure how you can reconcile that with Matthew's account. That's what I was trying to explain. All right. I think it's because of Herod's ascertaining of two years old and younger. Um, but I think that's referring to actually the time it took them to travel from when the star first appeared. All right. Uh, it's only included in Matthew. I asked that question, and that's because of Matthew's genealogy, which we talked about yesterday, Matthew chapter 1, that Abraham's family was saved so that God's faithfulness to the promise of Abraham would be revealed, just as it was to Joseph of old. All right, so what kind of parallels do you see then between the Old Testament Joseph and this new Joseph? All right, we already had the dreams, right? But they both actually saved their families um, by bringing them down into Egypt. Right? Joseph, through the treachery of his brothers, the Lord delivers the family into safety in Egypt. And here, 
through the treachery of Herod. What other great prophet of the Old Testament was hunted as an infant? Yeah, all the uh, all the first all the male children of Israel or Egypt of Israel in Egypt. Well, so that would be uh, Moses would be the guy. Um, now, how does the flight into Egypt here in Matthew chapter two connect to what's sometimes called the Great Commission, the instruction um, given to the pastors of the church in Matthew twenty-eight verse nineteen, when he tells the apostles, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." Yeah, you see it telegraphed already here in chapter two of Matthew, the, um, the how Jesus will go forth by his word um, by the apostles into all nations, including Egypt. That's one of the oldest Christian churches in the world, actually, um, are in Egypt. Why is Jesus called, we've talked about this before, but you see it a few times here, uh, the young child, the young child, and then the young child. Why do we have that here in Matthew's gospel? See if you remember what we've talked about before. I think the emphasis here, um, again, is Matthew's emphasis on, just mentioned in Matthew 28, go and make disciples by baptizing them. Right? And that baptism is um, how we were brought into the church, and we're brought in then as children. All right, So he became a child that we would be declared children um, by, of the Father in holy baptism. You can't make yourself a child, think John chapter 3, right? uh, but the Father declares it to be so for the sake of this child, the Son of God, the Son of Mary. Right. And so you, you see lots of examples, and I think we covered them before of let the little children come to me, which we always hear at baptism, uh, rightly so. Why do we hear that Herod is seeking to kill him? Again, think of the story of Moses, right? Where uh, Pharaoh tries to destroy all the male children, which would have resulted in the destruction of the Messianic line, which is a foreshadowing of this, where Herod is seeking to destroy uh, the Messiah, Herod being um, the demonic figure here seeking to destroy the church and salvation for all mankind. Um, verse 15, you see a, a quote there, out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, what prophet spoke those verses? Or that verse, I should say. Do you know? This is the prophet Hosea. I'd love to do a book study on the minor prophets, specifically Hosea. Uh, it's a really stark, vivid uh, sometimes brutal book, um, but I think worthy of our consideration, of course, especially if you haven't studied it. Um, context, right? So what's going on in Hosea? And how does that contribute to what you're reading here? So say Hosea uh, chapter 10, specifically 1 through 5, Israel empties his vine, he brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars according to the bounty of his land. They have embellished his sacred pillars, right, the idol pillars. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. For now they say, we have no king because we did not fear the Lord. And as for the king, what would he do for us? They have spoken words, swearing falsely in making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria fear because of the calf of beth for its people mourn for it, and its priests shriek for it, because its glory has departed from it. All right, and then I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh grain, but I harnessed 
her fat neck. I will make Ephraim pull a plow. Judah shall plow. Jacob shall break his clods. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap for mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness for you. Ooh, this would be really good for the parable of the sower. I have to remember that. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. Ooh, that applies to our political setting too. (laughs) Therefore, tumult shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be plundered. As Shalman plundered Beth Arbol in the day of battle, a mother dashed in pieces upon her children. Thus it shall be to you, O Bethel, because of your great wickedness at the dawn of the king of Israel shall be cut off utterly. Like I said, it's brutal. But keep listening. When Israel was a child, there it is, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to Baals and burned incense to carved images. This is referring to Herod, of course. I taught Ephraim to walk, uh, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them, to those who would take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and I fed them. He shall not return to the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to repent, and the sword shall slash in his cities devour his districts and consume them because of their own counsels, right? Not the word of the Lord, but their own counsels. My people are bent on backsliding from me, though they call to the Most High, none at all exalt him. How can I give up or give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboim? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come with terror. They shall walk before the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, then his son shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like a bird from Egypt, like a dove from the land of Assyria, and I will let them dwell in their houses, says the Lord. Right, and there's much more. So, pretty profound stuff, right? Uh, and maybe de- too dense <laughs> to really get your head around today. And all the references to Ephraim and um, the other kingdoms, the other uh, tribes. Uh, so it'd be worthy of study. But um, I'll give you a little summary. Hosea proclaimed Israel's rejection of the true king. He reminded them that they had been brought out of Egypt by the mercy of God, and yet they rejected the Lord. Jesus would be brought out of Egypt to be faithful to Israel and redeem Israel from all their sins. He would proclaim mercy to them, even though they would once again reject their true king. All right. It's a little bit longer reading, but we can keep going, right? All right, who ordered the slaughter of the boys in Bethlehem, age two years old and under? Again, this would be Herod. And why? Because he realized, what does it say there? That he had been outwitted. He had been deceived by the wise men, right? Yeah, and that um, he would not be led to the child. So he just covers his bases and have all the uh, boy, baby boys in Bethlehem in the vicinity under two years old killed. When were the firstborn males of Israel not killed? Go back to Old Testament. Yeah, the Passover, right? So the blood of the lamb would spare them. Um, there's some Old Testament uh, baby boys born in, near Bethlehem. Let's see if you can think of them. Well, one was born uh, to Rachel uh, after Joseph was in exile, or already taken into slavery in Egypt. 
and that's um, Benjamin, Benjamin, right? And Rachel died in childbirth. And then also um, Obed, the son of, or the father of Jesse, the son of Ruth and Boaz, was born in Bethlehem. That's in Ruth chapter 4. All right, so what happened at the birth of of Benjamin, Benjamin? His mother Rachel died, right, I said, and she wanted to call him Ben-Oni, which means son of affliction. Uh, Israel, Jacob, wanted to call him Ben-Amin, which means son of my right hand, Uh, which is pretty cool, actually, because you see that life came out of death just as the true son of the right hand would bring life um, out of his own death for the sons of men. All right, and then we have a voice was heard in Ramah. Of course, you know where that comes from, right? Because we read it for our first reading right here from Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. Uh, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Yeah, it's actually, you can see the translations are a little bit different between the two. Um, Likely, uh, Matthew is relying upon the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. That's why it's a little bit different than the Hebrew translation. Um. Maybe it's worth mentioning some of the other things that were said to Jeremiah while he slept there in chapter 31. So you can see here in verse 10 and 11, and then in 16 and 17, there's some more things to consider. Um, The Jeremiah here offers comfort, right? So he's a prophet offering comfort that the Lord has redeemed Jacob, right? You see that right in verse 11, uh, and ransomed him from one stronger than he, right? So that's referring to um, being bought out of bondage and slavery in Babylon. Even the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem was to be a sign of hope for the, for, you can see how it, it turns here, for this redemption. So even though Rachel weeps for her children, notice, then he instructs, the Lord instructs to refrain from the voice of weeping because they will come back. They will come back. And of course, Jeremiah uh, this actually comes in a couple more verses, chapter 31, verses, I think, 22, 21 and 22, um, that the, the baby would be, this, uh, actually, salvation would be born to a virgin, a woman. Um, well, I'll just get the exact quote here. I'm doing it from memory. 31, verse 21, let's see. Set up the signposts, make the landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, oh, here it is. Virgin of Israel, turn back to these cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. Huh? See? Mary around Jesus. All right. Uh, How did Joseph know when it was time to go back to Israel? Scroll back down here. Again, the angel, right? Uh, The Lord um, told him in a dream to go. Of course, how did this relate then to Old Testament Joseph returning to Canaan? That's in Genesis 50 or Exodus 13. In that case, it was Joseph died in Egypt, and he married, uh, made the, his sons, or the sons of Israel, so his brothers, swear an oath that they would take his bones back to Canaan with them. And then they carried him out of Egypt after the Passover was celebrated, eventually, <laughs> in the Exodus. So finally, the bones of uh, Joseph were laid to rest. Who had led Israel from Egypt to Canaan? In that Old Testament story, the pillar of cloud of by our pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, right? So it's the angel of the Lord who went before them, 
and show them the way, um, either by the cloud during the day or fire by night. So again, that's Exodus 13. Why did Joseph not return to Bethlehem of Judea? Well, they were there for the census, if you remember, so um, that wasn't their permanent home. It was only a temporary home during the census, but uh, he was warned here again in a dream not to go there. And uh, you see that in verse 22, right? Archelaus was reigning over Judea, and he was afraid to go there, and then God warned him um, to turn to Galilee. And he took Jesus and his mother to Nazareth. Uh, What was Matthew saying here? This is an interesting quote when he said, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now that's not, it says spoken by the prophets, but it's not a direct quote. There's no extent text that directly relates to that. So what does he mean when he says, he shall be called a Nazarene? Obviously the most famous Nazarene is um, Samson, right? Who didn't have his hair cut. And, uh, had the, no, no wine, right? That was another Nazarene, Nazarene vow. All right, let's go through this. So Isaiah 11 verse 1 says this, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Right? So hold that, especially that, that expression, a branch shall grow out of its roots. Later on in Isaiah, Isaiah 14, these are prophetic, words, all the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are but you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. There's that word again. Like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. All right, so you have the branch there again. Again, the abominable branch, or it could be translated the despised branch. Uh, again, pointing to Jesus. I mentioned Jeremiah 31. Uh, Jeremiah 33, contemporary of Isaiah, says this, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a, there it is, branch of righteousness. And he shall execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. Um, I think there's actually some more. We already mentioned Isaiah 11. Uh, Isaiah 4, a branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. Jeremiah 23, which just uh, also has the branch to David, a branch of righteousness. Zechariah 3, uh, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. And Zechariah 6, behold, the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. So all sorts of texts there. So not a direct Old Testament quote, um, but the reason is that that word Nazarene it comes from the word Nazir, which is a branch. Right? So who is this? He's saying that he shall be called, I think, the Nazir, the Nazarene, the branch. I think it's all referring to these, this prophecy of this royal branch, this righteous branch that will be our righteousness. So again, um, that grows out of the stump of Jesse. Lo, how a rose are blooming, right? The righteous branch. All right, very good. So that last part's a little tricky, but um, because you're not going to find a direct quotation, but I think that's the best explanation. All right, a couple meditations on this text. 
Um, God directed the course of history through this sinful man, much like Joseph in the Old Testament. He might bring, bring good from the evil intent of others. Was Joseph the ultimate model of a good father? The answer of this gospel is absolutely not, because there is only one father who is true and dearly loves us. It is this father who invites us to call upon his name for deliverance from evil, even as he delivered his son. It is this father who assures us that his will is done, even when others do evil to us. Once more, Matthew tells us that this child is the father's judgment upon his children who have rejected his call to repent. The words of Hosea, there in verse 15, the words of Hosea significantly point to God's compassion for his people and his desire to bring them to himself, though they would not receive him. Here we are reminded that God seeks us with the same compassion. Matthew paints for us the picture of the one who is the new Moses, the savior of his people, Israel. Just as Judah and his brothers had intended evil for Joseph, so now Judah's descendants, in the person of Herod, were desiring evil for Joseph and Jesus. Once Egypt had attempted to destroy the line of promise, but now Egypt was protecting the infant Christ who came to save Egypt and all the nations of the earth. Even this evil from Herod would be for good, as Jesus would turn their sorrow into joy through the work of his death and resurrection. He is the righteous branch who rose up to overthrow the abominable branch who is named Lucifer. Okay, and again, the abominable branch, that's in uh, Isaiah 14. So, look at that. Let's confess the uh, seventh petition to the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition in summary that the, our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Conclusion, amen. What does this mean? This means that I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and are heard by him. For he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and has promised to hear us. Amen, amen means yes, yes, it shall be so. All right. Let us pray. On this Thursday, we pray for the church and her pastors, for all missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We continue to pray that the Lord give to all people concord and peace, that he preserve our land from discord and strife, that he give our country his protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people, that he watch over and help all who are in danger, necessity, and tribulation, that he protect and guide all who travel, that he grant all women with child and all mothers with infant children increasing happiness and their blessings, that he defend all orphans and widows and provide for them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Today we have many prayers of thanksgiving. We pray with Marcella and Preston, who celebrate their birthday, with Lindsay, who celebrates her baptism, with Jerry and Marcella, who rejoice in their anniversary this day. We also pray that the Lord grant healing to those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Jan, Bev, Kelsey, John, Billy Joe, Brad and Janet, Timothy, Robert, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Penny, Roman and his family. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. 
Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for all the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Lutheran Church Charities and Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Prayer collect for this week. Almighty God, you have poured into our hearts the true light of your incarnate word. Grant that this day, or this light, may shine forth in our lives. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also, from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, it's good to have you all here with us where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst of us. Not so quite sure how uh, that works over the internet, but uh, I'll trust that it does. So it's a fitting for us to sing a hymn, uh, being in the Father's presence uh, through the Son uh, singing within the Father's house.
Thanks for the comments there. Yes, I do like singing. Uh, I didn't always, actually. It was a struggle for me, especially uh, when I was younger. Um, it was actually due to a chronic post-nasal drip uh, that I didn't really resolve until I was at seminary. And then, lo and behold, if you don't have a constant phlegm in your throat, <laughs> it's a lot easier to sing. And I was really having to work hard at it most of my life uh, until I found out um, that I was highly sensitive to... Um, pasteurized dairy and wheat, which is a common problem. I'm not exactly sure why, but uh, if I moderate and, or don't eliminate that from my diet, uh, except for right now, I've got a little bit of a sinus thing going on, but not much. So it, it makes it a lot easier to sing when your throat isn't full of phlegm. So there you go. I'm um, good to have you. I uh, did want to make some comments today about uh, what happened yesterday. Um, I hesitated to post anything on uh, the Facebook. Maybe I'll send something out via email later, but um, I have a lot of thoughts actually, and um, I, I think well one one thought is to be cautious to jump uh, to judgment as to um, the the cause and the reason for what happened. Um, I think we lack a lot of perspective, um, both of world history, the history of our own country, um, the role of violence actually in political protest, um, and what we saw yesterday was actually not that violent. Um, I suppose it was physical, but uh, with the exception of uh, the unfortunate death of uh, the veteran from San Diego, the woman, uh, I forget her name, Babbitt was her last name, who was shot in the neck by uh, the Capitol Police when she was trying to scale uh, a barricade, uh, which is tragic, really. A 14-year uh, Air Force veteran, uh, very, uh, well, a patriot. Um... Put that in perspective with the riots and the occupation of Seattle that we saw this this summer. Um, it actually wasn't even at all similar. Um, this was actually as, as peaceful as a protest could be, with the with that exception. Um, so I I think we lack a little perspective. Remember that uh, the city um, that was where the, where Congress was uh, is held, where the White House is, is named after a man who. Uh, led a violent protest against uh, tyrannical rule, or at least what they consider tyrannical rule, but today doesn't even compare, I think, the Tea Party. And today, um, our taxation rate is not even close, 30%, 40% in some people. Some people pay 50% in taxes. And they were protesting over about a 2.5% tax. Yeah. So uh, I think we lack a little perspective, a little uh, what's going on there. Um, and also remember, too, that uh, you're coming at the end of what has been um, a strong authoritarian rule in regards to a COVID response, um, which has people quite anxious. Remember that those who are there, the 250 or 200 or 100, however many thousands, hundreds, tens and hundreds, I'd say hundreds of thousands of people that were there based off the pictures I saw, um, were actually protesting the fact that their voice is not heard. And... Um, this has been encouraged by um, some political parties and not by others. And now when it's uh, done by another, when the courts have been shut to hearing, um, hearing evidence, when uh, legislatures have failed to do their duty, 
when uh, governors and um, election, election officials have apparently uh, failed to consider any accusations of fraud, and then when um, your state, or excuse me, when your um, federal courts and Supreme Court and even your federal legislatures also are refusing to set um, set their partisanship aside and take the accusations seriously, um, set them set them to rest. Oh, and then we also have a uh, a press who refuses to actually um, do their job, but instead just uses uh, propaganda speech uh, rather than actually investigate themselves. Um, this is how we end up in this situation. So uh, I don't want to be too doom and gloom, but I mean, this is how democracy dies. And it was predicted by Alexander de Tocqueville at the foundation of our country. And I'm going to give you really an answer as to why. And the why is simply that politics um, is part of culture. It's actually downstream of culture. So what that means is there's, I mean, there's many ways this spins out, but um, when, when culture shifts, uh, politics shifts to match. So as culture shifted and in a desire to, to be, say, sexually promiscuous without consequence, then politics followed um, that allowed then for abortion of unwanted children, right, conceived. Um, when, when the society no longer has faith um, or no longer desires to trust in institutions, which has been at work since the late 50s, early 60s, right? You know, to rebel against the man. Um, my generation, Gen X and millennials, have no faith in institutions, whether it's church, state, family, um, any kind of government, uh, media, social media. We don't trust any of them. So then what are we left with um, as far as any kind of authority. There's no authorities left that are trustworthy. That's what you're seeing. You saw it with the violent protests this summer. You saw it in Kenosha. You saw it in Minneapolis. You saw it in Seattle. You saw it in other cities, Chicago, elsewhere. It, lives, many lives taken. Uh, $2 billion worth of damage done in Minneapolis alone. Right? And then you look and you say a couple broken windows. Um, an unfortunate uh, woman was shot yesterday. And some damage was done to the Capitol building, other damage to the Capitol building. Uh, this is not surprising. It wasn't surprising at all. And, it, and here's the thing that's going to probably make you uncomfortable is it's not the president's fault. Um, I don't think Donald Trump is the instigator. I think he's the coroner. Um, unfortunately, he's diagnosing. He diagnosed what was already done and had been done over generations of distrust. Going into foreign wars that were uh, unjust and were built on lies and that were intended to actually to pad the pockets of politicians. And maybe, tomorrow, maybe even today you've forgotten what happened just a week ago, where our, our elected leaders um, decided to spend $2 trillion um, to pad their own wallets by supporting foreign entities that come back and launder money to them. So yeah, trust in man? No. Trust in God alone. That's true. Um, but also, recognize that you have um, the authority as citizens um, to speak against, to be dissidents. And that's uncomfortable for Christians because we want to be peaceful. Um, and we are at peace with God. Um, but we can't always have peace with man. The, the only true and lasting source of peace is forgiveness of sins. Um, but notice how the psalmist prays frequently. Just go read Psalm 6. 
Uh, it's our job as Christians to pray against our enemies, the enemies of our faith, the enemies of our families, the enemies of our country, um, the enemies within, the enemies without. It's actually part of our job as Christians. And I think we've lost sight of that. Uh, but the, the scripture actually encourages us to do this and to, to ask God to have, take vengeance upon those who would seek to hurt and harm us, to take away our liberties and our freedom. Um, and where we're called to do so, um, use us as his instruments to do that. Whether it's as governors, as mayors, as citizens, as politicians, as law enforcement, um, as military people, wherever he calls us to do that, or even as pastors or as hearers of God's word. Um, oh, I said I'd give you a reason why. What we've lost, since politics is downstream from culture, is we've lost our cultural foundation. We've lost all of our cultural institutions that provided us with norms um, that would guide our morality, our character, our, um, our, no, our virtue. And so uh, we don't trust in institutions because we don't actually see our institutions behaving in such a way that is trustworthy. The court's just excluding cases without even considering evidence, for example. Justice is not served daily. We see this. We know this. None of us want to appear in court because we don't trust that the courts will actually represent us, right? Um, and so the only remedy actually, and, and this is what our founding fathers understood, is the only way for actually our government, our form of government, uh, a democratic republic, to survive is if we have a moral compass, if we have moral, a common moral cause. And the only way that's going to happen um, is actually to return to God's word. This is one of the things we've lost, is that the only reason why our country has succeeded in, in a way that previous countries have not, the only reason why we've had a country for 200 plus years that um, have promoted things like religious uh, freedom of speech, religious freedom, um, freedom of the press, etc., is that it relied upon um, what you might call a Greco-Christian foundation. That is, the, it's the Christian moral compass, the one given to us by the Ten Commands, by God's own word, that provided the foundation that made this successful. And now that we've lost that, and actually we have leaders that are uh, outwardly maybe religious, but inwardly are atheistic or antagonistic to the faith, um, that's why we see what's happening. And um, our churches, faithful Christian churches, are the last line of defense. As a matter of fact, we are the first line of defense, and we, many of our churches, um, in their liberal move, uh, forfeited God's word and consequently for, forfeited that foundation to defend themselves against the attacks of the devil, but also um, for us to defend our country and the liberties that it's afforded us. So, yeah, um, thank you, Roman. I, I, you come from a different context, so you probably understand this differently. I mean, some of my reflections are in reading um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, for example, um, Gulag Archipelago, reading what happened, um, what led up into the tyranny of the Nazi regime in Germany, what happened with revolutions in France um, during the Enlightenment or after the Enlightenment, um, and the revolution, of course, in Russia, uh, and then what we see happening in China and happening to the dissidents in, in Hong Kong under Chinese rule. And what we're seeing happening in uh, even Western Europe. Um, is it inevitable? Maybe. And if that's the case, then we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's what's happening, is we're seeing Armageddon. Maybe not, uh, although the Lord has promised that will happen. So it's unavoidable in that sense. This world will be destroyed by fire and judgment. 
but we don't want to have that visited upon us. Uh, we'd rather die in peace and go to be with our Lord, not through that kind of judgment. Uh, so what can you do? I think this is the important thing, and maybe this is the thing that people have lost, is continue to speak out. Um, social media is not an effective platform, uh, but speak to your Congress people, uh, speak to your state legislature, speak to your local um, authority, speak to your sheriff, um, ask them what you can do to protect your liberty, um, to assist them in their work um, in doing so. Um, do it at the grassroots, and I think uh, it's possible actually to reclaim you know, a, the sense of a moral compass nationally. Um, but it's going to come through great pain and suffering. There's just no way around it. Um, because you have violence being used um, to oppress freedom. And how do you respond to violence? You know, you can be a martyr, but uh, yeah, there we go. So I'm not really encouraged. I'm actually greatly discouraged. Um, but that's why we do this congregation of prayer. Just to kind of tidy it around in a bow. Is the reason why we um, are daily in God's word because it is it provides that compass, it provides that foundation, it provides us the assurance, the hope that uh, as angry as we might be, and as much courage as the Lord would grant us, um, our hope is not in this world or in this world's rulers. Um, we do our part, we do the best we can, uh, but we're fighting against um, both our own flesh, this world, and the devil himself, and ultimately the victory has been won, and we will see the resurrection. And the Lord's kingdom will reign eternally. Um, and we do our best to protect it here in this world now, knowing that he will vindicate his word in the end. All right, yeah, sorry for a little bit of a long rant there, but uh, it's been in my head. <laughs> and uh, it's not something that I could probably uh, spin out on social or in an email. So Lord be with you all, and uh, we'll see you again in the morning.